Romans chapter 1 tonight, Romans chapter 1. We started our series, and I believe this is our third message, and we're just going to journey through the book of Romans, tremendous uh, Word of God passage, and uh, I've entitled this series, Right Standing with God, and I, I think uh, you'll enjoy this study. I know I've always enjoyed the book of Romans, a lot of great things here, and so tonight we're still kind of in the introductory part of the book of Romans, and uh, last time we were together, uh, we talked about how Paul was, was laying out in the opening of the letter, he was presenting his credentials in those first uh, seven verses there, and, and again, uh, this, we call it a book, it's really a letter, an epistle that was written to uh, the church in Rome, the believers in Christ, and as we get into our message tonight, we're going to uh, pick up in verse number 8, and we're going to read down and look at all the way down to verse number 17. So if you have your Bibles there tonight, you're able to, let's stand tonight for the reading of the Word of God. And uh, we haven't done this in a while, but let's read this responsively. So I'll read verse number 8, and then you together read verse 9. I'll read verse 10, and then you read verse 11, and we'll read down to verse number 17, all right? So we're going to begin in verse number 8, and the Bible says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. making request if by any means now at length I'm, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. And then in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the last phrase there in verse 17, let's read that again. The just, shall, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this tremendous passage, and I pray that you'd use it. Help us to understand it. May your Holy Spirit guide us. And uh, Lord, again, thank you for the power of the Word of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. When uh, we get into these verses tonight, we've already seen how Paul was presenting his credentials. When we get to verse number 8, we see that Paul tonight is expressing his concern. Uh, Paul, as a man of God, has a concern for these people and a concern for the Word of God and the work of God. And I want you to see a couple aspects of his concern. Notice, first of all, in verse 8, that he talks about how he was thankful for them. Uh, it's amazing when you see, because Paul was a man that, that hated Christianity. He hated anything to do with Jesus Christ. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor. He vehemently uh, stood against the cause of Christ. But God had changed his heart. And here we see the man thankful for these people. My pastor years ago made this statement. He said that thankfulness is thankfulness. In other words, they were on Paul's heart. Uh, maybe you have somebody that's on your heart today, somebody that you're thankful for. 
Paul was rejoicing in these folks, there's a sentiment that Paul also wrote to those in Colossae, and I want you to see what he says in Colossians 1.3. He says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So also there in Colossae, like here in Rome, Paul's talking about the fact that, listen, I've heard, uh, it, word has traveled. I mean, they, they, don't, they didn't have modern technology like we do today, but word had traveled, and Paul had heard about these folks that were in Rome. Now, Rome is uh, oftentimes referred to as the city set on seven hills. In other words, it was a city that was elevated in the empire. There was a lot of uh, attraction. There was a lot of eyes. People were watching what was happening. You probably have heard the statement that all roads lead to Rome and all, all roads led from Rome. This was a place of, uh, of a lot of activity, and Rome was the city that was set there. It was positioned the way it was. But this new religion, and when I use those words, I'm talking about Christianity, people that had come to faith in Christ, this new religion that now was starting to crop up in the city of Rome was also positioned to a place to where, like the city was elevated and being watched by many people, everybody was kind of watching to see about this new religion, this faith in Christ. Bible Christianity, we would call it today. And it was to these people, these Christians, that this letter was written to those in Rome. Now, what's interesting is, is that it was written to the Romans, but it becomes an epistle against the Romans. Did you hear what I said? Is As you study this, and we're going to barely touch that tonight, the next time we get together, we'll talk a little bit more how it became an epistle against. It became an indictment against those that were in Rome. So Paul, again, begins to express his concern for those that were there. He was thankful for them. But notice also that not only was he thankful for them, but he prayed for them. In verse number 9, the Bible says, as he writes here, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always. That's a prayer life. I mean, he's praying for these folks. They were constantly in Paul's prayers. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. That even means that while you're driving down the highway, don't close your eyes, but be in the spirit of prayer, an attitude of prayer. Always have somebody on your heart. Paul writes to Timothy and says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Paul was a, he was a praying man. Paul prayed for many people and he, he was fervent about it and he was constant in his prayers. And as he writes here in verse number nine, he talks about the fact that his desire was that he wanted to come to them and not only to come to them, but he wanted to bless them and he wanted to be a blessing to them. When I traveled for our ministry in California, uh, uh, every church that we would go into, I would tell the young people before we would go into the church, and you watch when this group, and we've got a couple groups coming this summer, that, that as they come, I would tell them, now listen, look for a way to be a blessing to this church. Find a way that you can be a blessing to the pastor of the church. Uh, find a way that you can be a blessing to the children. And many times, we would go in trying to be a blessing, but, but we always found that the church, the pastor, was, ended up being a blessing to us. And I don't know about you, but I just want to be a blessing to people. I, I want to help people. And that's what Paul, when he's, he says, look, I have a desire to come to you and to be a blessing to you. Now, when he writes this, this blessing that he's talking about that he, he wishes to impart to them, I don't want you to be confused because uh, it, this is not synonymous with the spiritual gifts. You see, Paul could not infer a spiritual gift upon them because they are the pneumatikos. They are imparted by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul couldn't 
gift them with a spiritual gift. Only God by His Spirit can do that. But Paul says, look, I want to come and just be a blessing to you. He says, I'm thankful for you and I'm praying for you. But then notice thirdly that he loved these people. Now he hadn't been there, but notice in verse number 11, he says here, uh, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established, that is, that I, I may com be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Paul says, look, I really, I really don't know you. Uh, one of our missionaries, Brother Cone, he called uh, two days ago, I think it was, and we were talking on the phone, and he said, he said Pastor, he said, I, I've been in contact with you. He says, uh, we're actually in the States and we're, we're on furlough. We're making reports to some of our churches. And he said to me, he said, you know, Pastor, if you want, he said, I really want to come to your church. He said, I'd love to come and give a report. And he says, uh, but, but right now, he says, where we're at, he said, now, now, he said, if you want me to come, I'll come. I said, well, where are you at? And he named the country that he was in. It's called Texas. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm like, you're in Texas and you say, hey, if you want me to come, we can come. And I'm like, I didn't have the heart to tell a missionary that, hey, yeah, you need to drop everything you're doing and leave that state of Texas and drive all the way over to the state of Florida. I mean, just from the panhandle down here is a good 10 hours, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to do that to him. So I told him, I said, look, Brother Cone, I said, you know we love you, and, and we'd love to have you. I said, but, you know, may, if it doesn't work out this time, maybe next time. And I told him, I said, you know, I share your letters all the time with our church. I said, I've never met you, but I said, I feel like I know who you are. I said, I get that from your letters and from the way you write and how you talk about your people and the work that God's given you there. You know, and it was, it was a joy to talk to him. You know, and we, we talked, it's kind of a funny thing because uh, he was the youth pastor in, in the church that he was at when he called me. He was the youth pastor and one of the, one of the kids, the teens in his youth department was the son, the grandson of the pastor when he was the youth pastor. Now he's a missionary on the mission field and that kid that was in the youth group is now the pastor of that church and I taught that young man in Bible college. He's like, he says, it's a strange world, Pastor, how things work out. He says, now he's my pastor. And I said, yeah, I said, you, I don't know if you want that to turn on you, you know. I'm sure he remembers when you were his youth pastor. And he says, yes, he remembers all those things, you know. But, but listen, folks, Paul says, I love you people. And it, Paul addresses them. And it's almost as if Paul was talking to them. And he says, there's, there's just seems to be, and, and I really believe as Paul is writing, and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Paul sensed that there was something that was missing in their lives. There was something that maybe he hoped to help them with. Now, the Bible isn't clear. We don't really know what this was, but it was something that was on Paul's heart that if he went there, he was going to be able to help them and share. Hey, listen, there's a lot of times that God will put something on my heart and just impress upon me, pastor, you need to teach on this. You need to preach on this. I try to be sensitive to whatever it is because look, a shepherd should know the state of his flock. And a lot of times I might, I might find something out and I try not to make it personal, but there are times where God may lead me because of something or someone and, and I try never to say anything because I don't want that person to feel like I'm singling them out. But I, if you're like me, many times I've been sitting in church and the preacher will start talking about something and I'll look around and I'll look at my wife and say, did you tell him? You know, you ever felt that way? It's like the preacher's pointing his finger right in your face, you know? And, and a lot of times that's happened. And, and I realized no one's told him other than the Holy Spirit of God told him what needed, to, what needed to be said. So I don't know, maybe it was some doctrinal thing that Paul felt like that he could help them with. And the Bible says here he longed to see them. That tells me that Paul had the heart of a pastor. He loved these people. He wanted to help them. Look at John writes in 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from Death unto life, in other words, we're saved, and here's how we know it, because we love the brethren. I mean, did you see these guys in the choir loft tonight? I love those guys. 
I love those guys. It's amazing how we learn to love each other, you know, and, and, and we come from such vast different backgrounds and, and we definitely have a different tongue, many of us, you know, and uh, they try to figure out how I say things and I try to figure out how they say things, but look, I love them and it's a clear sign that we are saved because we love the brethren and he's, the Bible says here, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Listen, I, I, I love the fact that Paul says, I want to come to you. I want to help you. I love you. And then look at this. I love this thought here in verse number 13 and 14 where Paul was in debt to them. Look at, look at what it says here in verse 13. He says, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you, even also even as among other Gentiles, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Paul was thankful for uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was thankful for how God had miraculous. How many of you are thankful you're saved tonight? You know, look, I, I read the writings that God allowed Paul to write. And you know what I realized just like in my own life? Just listen, three times alone in the book of Acts, God allows the testimony, the salvation testimony of the Apostle Paul. And every time I read as Paul's writing to these churches, I see how Paul is writing to the fact that he knew what the gospel had done for him. How the word of God and the power of God had so changed his life, altered the course of his life. And Paul was a changed man ever since that day that he was on the road to Damascus. His life would never be the same again. I love what A.B. Simpson said. Listen to what he said about the gospel. He says, the gospel tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of the guilty may be revoked, the condemnation of the sinner is canceled, the curse of the law has been blotted out, the gates of hell are closed, the portals of heaven are opened wide, the power of sin is subdued, the guilty conscience is healed, the broken heart is comforted, the sorrow and the misery of the fall is undone. Hey, the gospel still works. I mean, Paul is rejoicing in the fact that he is concerned for these people, how he loves them, and he has a debt. He feels he owes a gospel debt, listen to this, to every sinner. Paul didn't even know these people. I don't know if you've ever had this. I've had times where I've stood at people's doorsteps and talked to people out in public, and I've been talking to them about the Lord, and I'll be talking to them about their soul and about eternity and I've made this statement, and I, it, it comes out of my mouth, and I don't even realize it. And but by the way, I, when I say it, I mean it. But I'll say this to him: Listen, I love you. And these strangers look at me like you what? Now, do you know why I love a perfect stranger, a sinner? Because he loved me while I was yet a sinner. See, the love of God is in our hearts. We not only love the brethren, but we feel a debt. We feel a debt to everyone that we come into contact with. This way Paul was. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Paul says here, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for of necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul says, look, I have got to tell people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know where I was before I met the Lord, and I know where they're heading if someone doesn't tell them about the fact that Jesus gave his life so that they can have a home in heaven someday. Paul says, listen, it's a necessity in my life. And when Paul traveled, look, you study the Bible, here's what you find is that Paul preached at what many call the religious center of the world. That was the city of Jerusalem. And when Paul preached in Jerusalem, what happened? He was mobbed. Then Paul went to another city. He went to the, the uh, intellectual center of the world of his day, and that was the city of Athens. And when he went to Athens, what happened when he preached? He was mocked there. So he was mobbed in Jerusalem. He was mocked in Athens. And then he went to Rome, which we're studying here, which was the intellectual or the political center of the world. And when Paul went and preached at Rome, Paul was martyred for his faith in Christ. See, listen, that's what's going to happen when we take a stand, when we preach the gospel, when we tell people the truth about eternity. And Paul says, look, I can't be free from this debt 
until I've told as many people as possible the good news of Jesus Christ and how Jesus gave his life. Look what the Bible says, and I used this verse this morning, Romans 10, 17. How does faith come? Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. People need to hear from the word of God. And when they do, then it just brings to light this verse that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Paul says we can be comforted because God's word and the power of the gospel still works. And so Paul's expressing his concern. He says, I've got a debt. I love these people and I'm indebted to everyone I come into contact with. But then notice in verse 15, we see, look, look at the verse here. He says, so having said all that, Paul says, as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Years ago, I was asked to uh, preach a, a sermon, and so God put this passage on my heart, and I wrote in the Bible that I had at that time, right there next to verse 15, where it says, so as much as in me is, and I wrote it for me and not for anyone else. I wrote, what's in me? What's in you tonight? What has God done in your life? Because what's in you should come out of you. And listen, God had done a miraculous work in Paul's life. And Paul says, look, having said all that, realizing the debt that I owe to God because he saved me, I was on my way to a Christless eternity, and because he turned my life around, and I'm on my way to heaven now, he says, I owe a debt, and he says, one of the ways that I want to repay the Lord is he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you there at Rome. Also, he was eager, notice, to visit with them. His mind was prepared. He was ready to go to Rome, to visit there, to minister not only to the believers, but to those that had never heard about the Lord before. This was a visit that he wanted to go to, not one that he dreaded. You ever had one of those visits? Maybe go, go see some of your family? Don't answer that. You know, maybe, maybe it's one of those visits that you don't necessarily want to make and you dread it. Paul was looking forward to going Rome. He, he says, look, I, I'm looking forward. He says he has a willingness and the willingness was on Paul's part. Paul says, I'm willing, I'm eager to go there. I'm ready to go there. But the carrying out of the will, that was all dependent on God. You see, God was the one. He said earlier, he says, oftentimes I wanted to go, but I was led hither too. In other words, God providentially wouldn't allow that to happen. Paul says, look, I'm eager to come and, and to be successful in God's work. Listen, all of us need to do like Paul did, and we need to fall in line with God's will and to do things God's way. How many of you realize that's the very best way, right? O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E, -E -E, right? To do God's will. So Paul, he starts by presenting his credentials. And we see that the authority that Paul had, it didn't come from him. It didn't come from his pedigree. It came from God himself. You see, God had prepared Paul for this time and for this purpose. And then we see tonight how, and moving on from his credentials, Paul expresses his concern. But then notice, I also see that he then affirms his confidence. Look at the confidence of this man as we look a little further in this chapter, in verse number 16 and verse number 17. The Bible says, as he writes here, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now here in these verses, I see Paul talking about his confidence. Confidence in what? Not in his style, not in his oration, the skill that he has to be a good speaker, public speaker. Not maybe the way that he puts together his notes for his messages. Uh, not, not anything in and of himself. I see that Paul's confidence is in the gospel. You see, I noticed this, he mentions, first of all, the supremacy of the gospel. How that Paul knew that the gospel was far superior 
to any religion or any philosophy of Paul's day. By the way, I still believe it's the same of our day today. It's far superior than anything that man has conjured up. Any university professor has, has come up with is the gospel is still the greatest thing on this earth. And it is the supremacy of the gospel. Paul was confident in the supremacy of the gospel. He was confident in the sufficiency of the gospel. Here's how he said it, the sufficiency. It is the power of God unto salvation. That's how sufficient it is. The world doesn't need more education, and I'm not putting down education. The world doesn't need more uh, social reform. Uh, listen, I'm all about helping people. We helped somebody today after the service this morning. But I'm going to tell you something. that The answer's not in our social, and by the way, they're pushing socialism in our country today, big time. The answer is not in that. The answer is not in some new ideas about religion. Because religion will still send a person straight to a place called hell. But what the world needs most is the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel still works. I was uh, preparing for this and God brought this to my mind. I began to dig through some of my, uh, my notes and things that I had filed away. And I found this letter and uh, it was emailed to me back on September 22nd of uh, 2011. And it was a letter that was sent to my pastor who his secretary read it and gave it to him. But because I was the Sunday school teacher of this individual that sent this email, they forwarded it back to me so that I could, I could have a copy of it. It's kind of a neat little email, and I wanted to share it with you tonight. It, it falls in line with this matter of the gospel. And here's how it reads. As she mentions, good morning, pastor. Today is an extra special day. Remember, it's September 22nd. She says it's an extra special day because we celebrate nine years of salvation today. Nine years ago today, we made a life-changing decision to accept Jesus into our hearts. On this day, God not only saved our souls from hell, but also saved our marriage. It was a double whammy, that's what she says. We are the fruit of another soul winner's labor. God chose to send obedient bold Christians to do such a marvelous work through his Holy Spirit. We are forever thankful for their desire to see a lost man and woman saved and for using God's word and power to keep our marriage from dissolving. She then mentions in the letter who these laborers are by name. She said, at times we falter and it does get difficult battling Satan's attacks. Though we have learned to trust in the Lord. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. We attend the family ties class. Brother Keeley and Miss Joy are laborers that help us grow in our walk in the Lord and strengthen us to continue along this journey together. God's blessings have been abundant in our lives. Our list is extensive and we would not have enough writing space in this email of special note he has graciously given us given us two children health godly friends and time to celebrate now 13 years of marriage we are thankful that our daughter bethany is saved and prayed for our son nathaniel and pray that he will accept jesus in his heart at an early age we thank the lord for giving us a courageous pastor who is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for letting us witness and enjoy the power of God's love and grace in our lives. Soul winning and the gospel still works. Jesus is the reason behind our smiles today. Rejoice and then she signs Mr. and Mrs. Noel and Grace Sanchez. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. When I read that again, and it's been quite a few years since I read that email, I remember this couple just like it was yesterday. You know, they never dated. When I met them, they'd been married seven years. They were total strangers. They weren't saved. They, they just wanted to do church. It sounds to me like they got a whole lot more than just doing church. God gloriously worked in their hearts and lives. And folks, just like Paul, he understood the sufficiency of the gospel, that it is the power of God 
unto salvation. But then Paul also, Paul also had a confidence in the gospel because of the simplicity of the gospel. Hey, listen, the gospel is so simple. Here it is, that it's to everyone that believeth. Who can get saved? Anyone. Everyone, right? Say, hey, why have vacation Bible school in a couple weeks? Because anyone can get saved. Do you know we can have some boys and girls get saved? We can have some moms and dads get saved? Hey, we might have a church member get saved. You have no idea. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. Paul had that confidence. And folks, look, if I didn't have the same confidence that Paul did, you know what I might as well do? Close this book and close these doors and turn out the lights and go home. But I have that much confidence in the gospel that I think we'll just keep the doors open. I think we'll keep the lights on. I think we'll just keep preaching the gospel. Why? Because I still believe that people can be and will be saved. And we have a world out there that needs to hear the truth that everyone that hears and everyone that believes will be saved. See, it all begins, notice letter A here, the origin of the gospel. Back in verse number 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. See, the message of the gospel, you know what it is? It's from God and it's about the Son of God. I love the passage in, in Luke chapter number 2 where, where, uh, where, where uh, Simeon and Anna are, are in the temple. And, and so many years they had heard about how that God was going to send a Savior. And how they bring the, the, the Christ child in there. And listen, listen to what the Bible says in verse number 30. For mine eyes have seen, what? Thy salvation. Whose salvation? God's. They're, they're looking at this baby. Now, look, I, I saw the way that Christina and Miguel were looking at those two little babies, but I don't think they were thinking about salvation. I, were, I think they were thinking about work is what they were thinking about. But when they looked at that little Christ child, they knew they had been waiting like everyone else to see the salvation of the God, which the, uh, which the Bible says here, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Listen to how he is described, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. What a beautiful description of the salvation of God, that Jesus came to the Jew, yes, and Jesus came for the Gentiles, yes. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, the origin of the gospel, Paul's affirming his confidence because of where the gospel comes from. But notice also the operation of the gospel because back in verse 16, he says, it is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believeth. See, the gospel is God's power for salvation. In the Old Testament, there was a measure, a standard to show the power of God. One of the things that it was measured by this matter of power was when God led or God brought his people out of Egypt. Have you ever really stopped and thought about how many people left the land of Egypt and the journey that they took and how Pharaoh's army was chasing them and how God parted the sea and how they walked across there on dry ground and how God then took back uh, his power and allowed the water to, to, to just annihilate Pharaoh's army. Hey, listen, folks, on and on and on, the power of God in the Old Testament, one of the ways that it was measured was by God bringing the nation of Israel out of Egypt's land. In the New Testament, you know what the unit of measurement for God's power is? Here it is, right here in Romans 1, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the measure of power that God uses. Look in Ephesians 1.20. For he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Now, a lot of us have heard the Greek word. The, the word is the word dunamis. How many of you have heard that word before? A lot of us are familiar with the word dunamis. Our English language actually has two derivatives of the word dunamis. The first one of those words is the word dynamite. Now, when you think of dynamite, this is what I think of, I think of something that is destructive. You know, you light it, wherever you leave it, it's gonna blow it up, right? It's destructive. But the other derivative of our English language from the word dunamis is actually the word dynamo. 
See, dynamo is different than dynamite. Dynamo, instead of being destructive, dynamo is constructive. See, that's the way the gospel is. When you take those two words in our English language and you put them together, that is what the gospel is. The gospel destroys some things, but it actually builds other things. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 2.16. The Bible says, To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. See, the gospel, all the things, watch this, is this true in your own life? All the things that were bad and wrong in Paul's life were put away. They were destroyed. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. And so what God did was God replaced, look here, it was the old man before, but now it's the new man. Put off the old man, put on the new man. You see what he's saying here is that it's the power of God that we could lay down the old man and we could pick up the new man because we are now in Christ. See, Paul says, I understand the operation of the gospel, that it is the power of God unto salvation. The origin of the gospel is that it comes from God himself. It is all about his son. But then notice he finishes this portion tonight with the outcome of the gospel. Now go back to verse 16. Look at the last part. Here's the words. To the Jew first. We're talking about the gospel. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein. Where, where is, when he says therein, what's he talking about? In what? The gospel. That's right. He says, for therein or in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So here's the, here's the beauty of it. When you look at this, and I love, again, the wording that God chose. Because the gospel produces righteousness. That's what it says right here in verse 17. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God. Is that what the Bible says? Okay, so, so watch this. The gospel produces righteousness. Now, again, this explanation I'm about to give you is not my explanation. It actually comes from the very word God used. But let me help you understand it. Here's what righteousness means. It means the right clothing. Now, stay with me. Okay, don't, don't, don't get off on this. But here's what I want you to see. When you think about the righteousness of God, let's say it together. The righteousness, come on, say it with me. The righteousness of, now, now stress not the righteousness, stretch whose righteousness? The righteousness of God. Now, look at what, when you look in the Bible, here's what the Word of God teaches. Remember, righteousness, the, the gospel produces righteousness, the right clothing. But when you, when you search the Bible, here's what you find is, according to the Word of God, we are all naked before God. When you came into this world, were you dressed? When you leave this world, I mean, they can put your best suit on you, right? Job said, naked came I into this world, and naked I'm going to leave this world, right? Now, stay with me, because we're talking here about righteousness, the gospel, the good news. Look what the Bible says, and you know this passage, Genesis 3, there in the garden. And the Bible says, he said, I heard thy voice. This is Adam talking in the garden. And I was afraid, and I was what? I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, before they, before they disobeyed God, did they know they were naked? No. So their sin brought about that awareness. So according to the Bible, they were naked. Look in Hebrews 4.13 here. There, neither there is there any creature, no creature, that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are what? Naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Can you hide anything from God? No, not a thing. So according to Hebrews 4.13, look, we're all naked before God. How about Revelation, the last book in the Bible, Revelation 3.17, because thou sayest, and by the way, we just studied this on Wednesday night. I, the, the church there was saying, uh, the church of Laodicea, which many believe that's where we are right now, historically, biblically, the church, church says, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and what? And naked. So when you look at all these passages, according to the Bible, we're naked before God. Is that true? 
according to these passages. Yes, it is. Now, here's what happens, and Adam is a good example of this. Some sinners realize, oh, I'm naked. You know, I don't have the right clothing. So here's what they do is they attempt to cover up their nakedness. And by doing that, what do they do? They try by their own works, the works of their own hands. Remember how Adam and Eve, how did they cover their nakedness? They sewed together fig leaves. See, you know, there's a lot of people today who instead of seeking the righteousness of God in the gospel, here's what they're doing is they're trying to get to heaven by their own works, by the things that they do. Are you with me tonight? This is what the religions of the world are teaching today is you don't need God. You don't need the righteousness of God. Don't believe the gospel. They'll say to you, hey, listen, just give money. Just live a certain way. You'll be okay. You'll get to heaven. That's not in the Bible, folks. The Bible says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Believe the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his life so that we can have eternal life. But here's what happens is, is that man realizes I'm naked before God. I need to do something so that I can get to heaven. So I try to do the work of my own hands thinking that that will get me there. Now, as a result of that, when man tries to do that, remember what happened when God came down in the garden and he looked around, he called for the man and, 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 and he was hiding. Remember what he says, who told you? Now, did God already know what happened? Sure he did. But here's what I see is, is that God looks down just like in Adam's day. By the way, just like in the days, the day of the Laodicean church, where they says, look, I have need of nothing. And God says to that church, hey, don't you know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? You're not saved. There's no evidence of the righteousness of God in your life. God looks down. And he sees the feeble attempts of mankind as nothing more than filthy rags. I mean, you can see it yourself, especially in the book of Revelation. What color is the clothing of the redeemed? White. It's a symbol of purity. And yet, how does God describe filthy rags? You know what you, you do with a filthy rag? Throw it away. It's good for nothing. Look what Isaiah writes here in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. We are all, notice he includes everyone. We are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, our righteousnesses, are as what? Filthy rags. See, there's, there's no righteousness in us. He's, look what he goes on to say. We do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now, listen, it sounds like a dismal picture. But I can tell you tonight that the only, it is only through the power of the gospel that the righteousness of God is afforded to repenting sinners. See, the only way that we can have the righteousness of God is to, to understand, to realize that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And as a result of that, we see what the Bible says. Look at Philippians 3, 9. Be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. See, those that were, that were, were steeped in Judaism, who said, listen, you got you to keep this and keep this and keep this, the commandments of God. Hey, listen, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And as we see this tonight, look, the righteousness of God. Now, when you think about this, he gets down to verse number 17, and look at how he ends this portion of the word of God. And here's what he says. Therein, or in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, when he mentions these words here, the gospel states that. The just shall live by faith. These six words right there that you just read, those six words actually, many years ago, started what is known as the Protestant Reformation. 
when there were people like Luther and others that were reading the Word of God and realized that it wasn't through the church that they were going to get to heaven. They realized that it is through salvation in Jesus Christ, having the righteousness of God placed on our accounts, the righteousness of God's own dear son, the prophet in the Old Testament, Habakkuk. Listen, to it as, and this is where we see those words first appear in the word of God. The Bible says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. There's the phrase. Now, this verse that we see here in Habakkuk chapter 2, it's actually used three times. One of those times is right here in Revelation chapter 1 in verse number 17. There's another time in the book of Colossians, and there's another one in the book of Hebrews. It's kind of interesting when you look at these three uses, because in each one of them in the New Testament, coming from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, God in each one of these presents this matter of the just living by faith in a little bit of a different or with a different emphasis. Let me illustrate this for you. Right here in Romans 1.17, the first time in the New Testament, God is emphasizing there the just. We're going to see that the next time we get together and we get farther into the book of Romans. But he's emphasizing, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. When you go to Colossians, in Colossians chapter number 3, there the emphasis is not on the just. There the emphasis is on shall live. If you go to the book of Colossians and you study it, listen to this verse here, Colossians 3.11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. See, the emphasis there is on how we live. But when you go to Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 38, you see the last emphasis that comes from Habakkuk 2.4, because the Bible says, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. There in the book of Hebrews, he doesn't emphasize the just, he doesn't emphasize shall live, he emphasizes this matter of by faith. We all know what Hebrews chapter 11 is, right? The great hall of what? Faith. So we see here how God takes the time to emphasize, and Paul's writing to those in Rome, and here's, here's what he's saying as we come to verse number 17, that those that have been justified, those that have been saved by the grace of God, that the just man shall live by his confidence in God. Let me say that again. If we are saved... The only confidence I have is in what God has done and not what I have done. See, I didn't save myself and you didn't save yourself either. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm going to heaven. Just because I, I, I've been in church all these many years doesn't mean I'm going to heaven. The reason I'm going to heaven is because I put my faith in God. My confidence is God. And Paul's writing here, it says, The just man shall live by his confidence in God. He has put his faith in God. He knows that God is the one who will sustain him, and God is the one that will preserve him. And he has that confidence. See, those that are confident in God, according to the word of God, here's what you find. They should be people that are happy. And you know why they're happy? Because they've been blessed of God. Because we have God's blessings on our lives. Hey, thank God for the gospel. Thank God for the good. How about this? And I'm not talking just, you know, I realize I'm standing in the role tonight. I'm thankful in my life for men of God and ladies of God who have shared the gospel. How many of you can think of the person that maybe led you to Christ? Aren't you glad that they did? That they took time to share the good news with you? And having said that, let's go back to where we began tonight. Paul had a concern, and his concern was for the gospel. Boy, I wish I could take the time tonight to tell you, and I could bring story after story about how, how people are changing the gospel. We don't need another gospel. God's given us the gospel, and it's the gospel of his dear son. And can I tell you tonight that there's still a world out there that is perishing. And we should have a concern for the gospel. You wait, read ahead. Read the rest of Romans 1. Begin at verse 18. 
and read to the end of the chapter. And you're going to understand a little bit more why Paul presented his credentials, shared his concern for the gospel, and then he affirmed his confidence because what he is about to address. Look at verse 18. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the what? The truth in unrighteousness. Are we living in that kind of world? Absolutely. And when we get into this next portion, listen, it's not so that we can say, hey, we're saved. You know, I'm not concerned. No, no, no. We are saved. We should be concerned. We should have a concern, just like Paul, that the world around us still needs the Lord. How concerned are you? I hope God has done such a work in your heart, just like he did in Paul's, that Paul says, I'm in debt. I'm a debtor to every person I come into contact with because they will spend eternity somewhere someday. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you again for the gospel. Thank you for Paul being able to write down these words that to me are so convicting. As he writes, as much as in me is, he says, I'm ready to preach. I wonder if those of us that are here tonight on a Sunday night, I wonder tomorrow if we had an opportunity, maybe with a coworker or a perfect stranger, if we would be ready to share the gospel with them if we would even know where to begin, if we really even care or concerned about people's souls. And thank you for using Paul in my heart and my life to stir me up again. I pray tonight that we would all be stirred. Lord, as we get into the last part of Romans chapter number one and we see all the world is guilty, everyone, we're all sinners. There's none good, no, not one. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. We've been given the gospel. Lord, may we share it with everyone we come into contact with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.